So if you may recall, last Sunday I was rudely interrupted by the clock. Just when I was getting to the good part, we ran out of time, and I have made a personal commitment to end our services on time out of respect for the rest of our team who serves so faithfully on a Sunday morning. But I've decided in my next church, the next church I start, we're just going to have a start time. We'll end when we're finished. And you'll, I know what you're saying. You say, well, nobody will come to that church. And I go, oh, I'm one step ahead of you. And the next church I start, we're going to have snack service. <laughs> you'll have a, like an app with a menu on it. You can get pizza, cheeseburgers, popcorn, my favorite, chips and queso, soda, beer, sweet tea, the whole works. Your blood pressure starts, I mean, your blood sugar starts to drop or you get a little hungry, just order something up. We'll have a wait staff bring it to you, your seat, and I can just keep going. If that doesn't work, I'm just going to take all the food and go to the beach because my next church, I'm going to start in Kauai. <laughs> Hope to see you guys there. No, last week I was, I was really, really excited about exploring like, how does it really work to have a relationship with Jesus? Not you should have one, but how does that really work when we're talking about human beings having a relationship with a divine being? And I don't know that I've ever heard anybody explain it. And so I'm, I'm making an attempt. My best understanding of like, how does a relationship with Jesus really, really work in real time in the real world that we live in? And, and so last week, we, we ended our service at a particular thought. And I, I promised you we'd pick it up from there. We, we won't do a review. We're just going to pick it up right, right where we had left off, which proved to be an interesting challenge in the second service last week because we didn't have baptisms, and I had plenty of time. But I had to work it so that we would all, you know, end at the same place. But, it, but here's where we finished. You may recall. I was making the case that it's completely possible. I'm not saying it's not, it's not different. I'm not saying it might not be mysterious. I'm not saying it might not be complicated. But it is completely possible for the human heart, in parentheses, we're not talking about the organ inside of your chest that pumps blood throughout your body. I'm talking about that intangible part of the human spirit that somehow we relate to relating, a relationship. We talk about loving somebody with our whole heart, doing something with our whole heart. So we're talking about that part of us. It's completely possible for the human heart to experience relationship with somebody we can't see that we can't converse with, like we're accustomed to conversing, or we have never met personally. And you may recall, if you were here last week, that I had set that observation up with using three illustrations that I was hoping that you would be able to connect with at least one of them. And so we were talking about the fact that many of us have experienced the loss of somebody that we love deeply, a friend, family member, somebody who was an important part of our life. 
and it may have been years ago, 10, 15, 20 years ago, and yet people who have had that experience often talk about, I think about them every day. That sometimes we, I go on a walk, and I, I haven't seen my mom in 15 years, somebody says, and said, but I, I still I talk to her like she's here. I don't, I don't hear her. It's not weird. I just say, Mom, I, boy, I don't know what to do. You did it all so well. I wish I could talk to you right now. But So we talk about maybe not relationship. We talk about relating to someone who's been gone for a very long time. And some of you, you get that. Then we, we talked about the fact that some of you, you might have become very interested in and inspired by some historical figure, some historical character. And you've spent years kind of studying their life, reading books about them, watching documentaries, um, gathering information, and, and you talk about they inspire you. That the, the things that they've said and the way they lived their life still is somewhat of a, a model for what you try to do in, in your business or in your relationships or in your marriage. And so you're, you're relating to this person that you've never met. And then we talked about the fact that some of you, you've met your spouse online through a dating app. And we were discussing that experience that for some people, they'll go days, weeks, months, sometimes years relating to this person who may be on the other side of the world. And you're sending messages, and maybe you're doing FaceTime phone calls, but you're, you're starting to build a relationship, but you've never met that person in their presence personally. And yet something, something's happening. Where? In your heart. You go, I, I think I'm falling in love with her. I think he might be the one. So where, where is that all happening? Well, it's happening, and that's how I feel. It's like, I'm here. It's not our heart as we describe it as an organ. It's that intangible part of the human spirit that feels life, that relates to life, that interacts with life as it happens around us. So here's the deal. You just need to know this about me. I'm all for faith, but I have a very pragmatic sort of understanding of faith. So I'm the kind of guy who spends all of his time just trying to figure out, okay, so what is our heart? Like, what, how do, what is that? And that's just the crazy stuff that goes on in my head. So I'm always thinking, like, what is the heart? Like, how do you describe that to people? And so I'm, I'm going to take a stab at it. You ready? So the heart is that intangible place inside of us as human beings where important dimensions of who we are and how we are are shaped. It's the part of life where we spend so much time thinking and talking to ourselves. That, that's all happening in the heart. So it's interesting, in the Bible, the word heart occurs quite frequently as this intangible place inside of us. And here's how the Bible would describe the heart. It would describe it as sort of like um, the grand central station of all that we are. It would describe uh, the, our heart as sort of the operating system of our life. It's the convergence of all these influences that shape who we are and how we go about living our life. That, the Bible would describe that as our heart. 
So it's interesting. The Bible wouldn't say, I love you with all of my heart. Because it, it doesn't use the heart in that way. You, you want to know how the Bible would describe how much you love somebody? This is just free. This is a little tidbit. The Bible will say, I love you with all of my bowels. It just reads different, doesn't it? Yeah, see, love in the Bible is described as like, like down here in the center of who you are. The heart, the heart is more of like the grid work, the paradigm through which you interpret all that goes on in your life. So here's just an attempt, a Paul Wilson attempt, to try to, try to you know, get down inside of it and, and do some surgery there. The heart is kind of a, the perfect storm of a number of influences. First of all is knowledge. The heart is informed by the knowledge that we gather throughout life. It's, it's our education. It's the stuff we read. It's the research we do. It's the facts and the figures that we relate to, that we, we place importance in. And so as you know, our whole life, starting at the time when we're just kids, we, we're collecting knowledge, and that knowledge has an influence on our life. And then one of the biggest influences when it comes to knowledge is this, this idea of experience. This is on-the-job training. This is as life happens to you, you learn some things. In fact, at times our experience will challenge our knowledge because we can have a lot of book knowledge, things that we learned in a classroom, and then we go out into the real world and it doesn't always work like we read it in the book. So experience at times can shape who we are. And this is all kinds of experiences. This can be, you know, you're in seventh grade and you have really bad acne and the kids call you, call you mean names. That's an experience that shapes your life. This could be, you know, the, the, the engagement that got broken off at the last minute. This could be the loss of a job and, and, and a complete redirect in your career. This could be a divorce. This could be the, the passing of a loved one. All of these experiences shape our lives. It can also include, you know, um, our successes and our wins and, and the trophies, the, the positive experiences of life. They all shape how we look at life. Does that make sense? And then here's one we... Here's one we, we underestimate, emotions or feelings. Our emotional response, which is often informed by these two, our emotional response to life has a tremendous impact on how we see our world. In fact, there's a lot of people that make some of their most critical decisions based not on knowledge, not on experience. They make some of the most critical decisions based on their feelings. And that's not always the wisest way to make a good decision. But some people are literally driven by their feelings and they make important decisions of life saying, here's how I feel about this. Does that make sense? Here's an interesting observation. Like 95% of addictions are born in feeling. A lot of times the groundwork for an addiction is laid when a, when a person's just a kid, they're a child, and they don't, have, they don't have the intellectual wherewithal, they don't have the depth of experience in which they would have the maturity to make good decisions about the feelings that they have. And so here's what happens. When a child 
experiences some sort of drama or trauma, and that could be the loss of a grandparent, that could be the kids picking on them at school, that could be the divorce of their parents, which is hugely influential in the lives of kids. It could be a host of just feelings that this eight-year-old kid goes, oh, I don't like this, I feel sad. I feel angry. I feel afraid. They don't have a sense of security about their relational world. And so what happens is they go looking for something that will help them to feel different. But they don't have the knowledge, the experience, the maturity to always make a good choice. And this is oftentimes where the groundwork is laid for things like alcohol or marijuana or masturbation or pornography or stealing. Because what they find is that when I do these things, I feel good. And I don't feel sad, and I don't feel afraid, and I don't feel angry. Did you know that the the age where most kids are being introduced to pornography now is eight years old? And oftentimes it's the feelings that I don't like this, but when I do this, this makes me feel better. And so what happens is that the more they feel like this, the more they retreat to this. This is called coping. I'm coping with those feelings by having these feelings. And what happens with an addiction over time is that the feelings here and the feelings here, they ju- the time between them just becomes shorter to where all of a sudden the child or the, or the young adult, the time between these two feelings becomes um, compulsory. I feel this, so I immediately do this. I immediately steal something because it, I like the challenge. It makes me feel better. I look at pornography. It makes me feel better. I... I drink alcohol, it makes me feel better. And so this, this is the heart of an addiction. And so the heart of an addiction was ultimately born in feelings. Does that help you understand how a powerful influence that feelings can have on this intangible part of who we are and how we see the world? And then you have knowledge, and this is more academic, scholastic sort of collection of facts and figures. You have this experience, you have these emotions And ultimately, then, you start forming your beliefs, the things that you trust to be true. And that is what? That's faith. Everybody has beliefs. And faith is simply the collection of beliefs that a person has put together and they now trust in. Atheists, they have beliefs that they trust in. Agnostics, they have beliefs that they trust in. Devoted Christ followers, they have beliefs that they trust in. A Muslim has beliefs that they trust in. And everybody's banking their life on the fact that they hope and they trust that their beliefs are the right ones and the true ones. Does that make sense? So my best understanding of this intangible part of who we are is this kind of this perfect storm of all these things shaping this intangible part. And so it would make sense that it's here with all of this that we experience what I might call relating, relating to life. Relationship, our relationship to ourselves, our relationship to others, our relationship to the world, our relationship to, to God and our best understanding of them, that, that's, that's my understanding of the heart. So, so listen, as we spend more time exploring those beliefs and coming to a growing understanding of 
like what we make out to be true and if we if we include god in that discovery then we start we start learning things about god and we start relating to them and we start kind of measuring them and deciding do i really believe this and and it's there that we start formulating a faith and so look look at this verse now faith christian faith is confidence in what we hope for i i've heard these things about god and i hope i'm putting my trust in the fact that they're true it's the assurance of what we do not see there's so much about a christian faith in god and in jesus you can't see it with your eyes but you can begin to relate to it the more you understand about it. And then, we, then the verse continues. The passage, without faith, without some sort of trust in what you can't see, what you can't touch, what you can't converse like we're used to, without faith, you just can't even begin to please God or to relate to him because that's where God is discovered. Because anyone who comes to God, you have to begin with this premise that he exists. I can't see him. I can't put him under a microphone, a microscope. My best professors in college might not affirm him. But if I'm going to explore a relationship with God, I have at least have to be open with a category that says, okay, he exists. I may not understand him. I may not even like him. But at least I'm allowing for a category that he's there, that he exists, and he rewards those who go on a search earnestly. Not some kind of weekender, but somebody who will give themselves to exploring this God I don't understand. In this place inside of me that I don't even know how it works. Did you follow that? Okay, so here's what happens. As I nurture my knowledge, my experience, my beliefs about God, and particularly about Jesus, I start learning things about him. And here's some of the things. I'm just kind of rattling these off the top of my head. Um, I learn that he's present. I, I, I can't see him, but my faith informs me He's present. In fact, it tells me he never leaves me. He'll never forsake me. He's always there. I don't care if you're going to work, if you're driving in your car, if you're at your house, if you're on an airplane. A Christian operates from a belief that he's here. Can't see him, but he's here. Uh, um, we learn we, our, our faith expands. We go, we learn that he's not only here, but he's aware. He knows everything that's happening in my life. He knows everything that's going on, that's creating all the turmoil, that's creating all the drama, the things that are hard and the things that are easy and good. He, he's aware of all that. And I learned that he's concerned. He cares about the things that I care about. These are things that in my 
pursuit of earnestly seeking an understanding of God, I start to grow in this understanding. I, 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 okay, you ready? One of the things that you learn is that he hears. If you'll just speak, he hears. And the fact that he's an amazing God who's not limited by anything, he, he can hear you at the same time that he hears you, at the same time that he hears you, wherever you might be. He can hear every one of us in our unique conversations with him. So we learn that he, he hears. Here's one, kind of spooky. You ready? You ready? We learn that he speaks. Okay, that's strange. No, it's not strange. It's mysterious. It's only strange because we don't understand how to hear it. But we can with some experience. We, we, we learn all sorts of things about God. So um, why am I telling you this? Well, that's why something like prayer in my car while I'm driving to my swim lesson isn't strange why because I have a faith from a knowledge that's informed me that wherever I am God is concerned about the things that concern me and he is able to hear when I speak to him so I'm stuck in traffic it can be completely normal that I am saying something like God not going anywhere right now Here's what's going on in my life. He goes, yeah, I, I'm, I'm really aware of what's going on. But I can talk to him because that's, that's all prayer is. It's just a conversation you have with God. There's no right or wrong way to do it. It doesn't have to start a certain way. It doesn't have to end a certain way. It just has to look like an honest conversation. So God and I have with these very honest conversations. Why? Because I'm in a relationship with him. And he tells me that no matter where I am, I, I can speak to him. That's relationship. Where's that happening? My best understanding, it's happening in my heart. Does that make sense? So, this heart. You ready? This is where faith works. So you want to see something really cool? Oh, that didn't sound very enthusiastic. <laughs> Don't make me turn this into part three. <laughs> Do you want to see something really cool? Yeah. All right, look at this. It's centuries old. The Apostle Paul writes a letter to a group of Christians, a church in the city of Ephesus in the first century. We call it the book of Ephesians. It's a letter to the Christians in Ephesus. And this is a prayer that he's praying for this church. He says, for this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all of God's people, I, I have not stopped giving thanks for you. So Paul's general relationship with these Christians in Ephesus, I am so grateful for them. I love their heart. Remembering you in my prayers. I, I keep asking. So this is the Apostle Paul stuck in traffic talking to God about these believers in Ephesus, and he says, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, that he'd give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may, what? Know him better. 
he's praying for this church that they would, they would grow and blossom in their relationship of knowing Jesus better. Did you get that? Want to see something really, really cool? Look at this. I pray that the oh, eyes of your heart might be enlightened, that they might be open, this, this intangible place inside of you. I'm praying that God would open the eyes of your heart so that you may know the hope to which he's called you, so that you could comprehend the riches of his glorious inheritance and his holy people and his incomparably great power that he has for you. The Apostle Paul, back in the first century, was aware of this place, this intangible part of us that relates to God. And he was praying for them. I pray that the eyes of your heart... Now, he's not talking about the organ in our chest because it doesn't have eyes. If it does, you should probably see your cardiologist. He's talking about that part of us where faith happens, where we end up relating to someone we've never seen. Relating to someone that we can't converse with. Relating to someone that maybe all we have is a collection of knowledge about them. And that person is Jesus. You can put Jesus into that whole equation and go, oh, that's, that's how I relate to them. Now, he says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. So that implies something. It infers something. What does it infer? That it's possible for a human heart and what it's capable of seeing that the eyes are closed. It, it's implying that perhaps the eyes of that heart that he's talking about, they can be, they can be blurry. The, the vision's not clear. Worse, it's implying that it's possible that the eyes of our heart could in fact be blinded. He's praying that their eyes would be open because the risk of being a human being is that that intangible spiritual part of us called our heart, that our vision can be blinded. Do you follow that? So that's a problem, because if, if that part where we relate to God is actually blind, it's going to be really hard to relate to him. Want to go there? It's fascinating. It's absolutely fascinating. So we read about the life of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We read about these miracles that he did to validate his supernatural abilities. It's interesting, most of the miracles that Jesus did, there was just a few of them. Different situations, but essentially the same miracles. Jesus healed people who were <gasps> blind. He healed people who were <gasps> deaf. He healed people who were lepers. And he seemed to heal a lot of people who were demon-possessed. Did you ever stop to think that every one of those miracles and the nature of them have these enormous spiritual parallels to what Jesus was trying to get people to understand. 
The fact of the matter is that we are spiritually blind. But Jesus can give us sight. The Bible tells us we are spiritually deaf. We will not, cannot hear the truth of God. But Jesus can open our ears to hear. The Bible tells us that sin, sin has had a dramatic impact on our life. And it's what's blinded us. It's what's made us deaf. And so like a leper, we are unclean. But Jesus, Jesus can touch us through faith and our sins be removed as an obstacle between us and a relationship with him. The Bible describes us as being cripples. We, we, we can't get to God unless Jesus heals us and gives us the capacity to do that. Don't miss that lesson because ultimately it has something to do with the heart. It's possible that our heart, your heart is blind. That it's deaf. That it's so impacted by the contamination of sin that you, you can't relate to God. Jesus often said this, let him who has ears, let him hear. Guess what? Every person he was talking to had ears on the side of their head. But Jesus is highlighting the fact that you can hear really well, but you may not be open to what he has to say about truth. Your, your, your scholastic objections, your, your, your disbelief, sometimes your rebellious spirit says, I'm, I'm not hearing this. I'm not going to listen to this. And the eyes of your heart remain closed. Let him who has ears, Jesus is saying, Listen to the truth. Listen for the things that you can't put under a microscope or you won't read in a book. Look, at Jesus said this. For this people's hearts, here we go, their hearts have grown what? Dull. And with their ears, they can barely hear. And he's not talking about those things on the side of their head. He's talking about their heart, their eyes. They have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn. And then I could offer them some healing, but they won't open the eyes of their heart to hear what I have to say, to see what I'm trying to tell them. Jesus often said this, oh, you of little faith. What is that? That means I, I got, I believe a little bit. But life keeps wanting this much from me. But I keep, I keep going a mile and I can't go any further because my faith won't trust God past what I'm comfortable with. What my experience told me is okay, socially acceptable. No, he's saying if you're going to trust me, you have to trust me the whole way. But your faith is it's a little tiny faith. Because you're not exercising it. Want to know some more? I'll tell you. I, I still got a few more minutes. <laughs> Look at this. Paul tells us in the book of Corinthians that he wrote to the church in Corinth. Satan. Interesting. Um, I have it in parentheses. The words are the God of this age. You know what that is? The influence of culture. 
The impact of the evil of society has blinded the minds of people who refuse to believe. That's, their heart is blind. So that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ who is the image of God. They, they just, they refuse to see it because Satan has had such an impact on their heart. That knowledge, that experience, that feelings, those beliefs that they've, they've gathered together, it just said, I, I'm not going to believe this. I'm not going to believe this stuff. I almost said something else. Look at this. I, I'm just showing you what the Bible is explaining about the nature of the human heart. So I tell you this, Paul writes again in, later in the church of Ephesus, so I tell you this, and I insist on the Lord, quit living as Gentiles do, and he's using people who refuse Christ. Gentiles, they, they refuse Christ intellectually. Jews refuse Christ spiritually. Gentiles, by nature, they thought themselves to be intellectually superior over the Jews. So th their arguments were all, God couldn't exist because I'm so smart. So he said, don't live like Gentiles in the what? The futility of the beliefs they've gathered together and accepted to be true. They're, they're darkened. There's like, there's like a, a fog that's overcome their heart. They're darkened in their understanding. They're separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that's in them due to what? <gasps> the hardening of that part of them. It's, it's possible to be so blinded in your heart that over time your heart just becomes so callous it won't open itself up to the truth. And so having lost all sensitivity, they've given themselves over to sensuality to indulge in every kind of impurity. Sound familiar? Seen anything like this in the news? Every kind of impurity. Let's just pursue it. Why? Because our hearts are dark. Here's a verse that means something to me every Easter. We have guests in the room every Easter. The message of the cross, this, this idea of Jesus dying and resurrecting, the message of the cross, it's foolishness to those who are perishing. Every Easter, I know there's people in the room, and I don't believe this crap. I'm here because they told me they'd take me out to lunch afterwards. It's, it's America. I guess you still go to church on Easter and Christmas. But, but they, they hear the message of Christ. I don't believe that. Why? Because they're perishing. But to those who are being saved, it's the power of God. It'll transform your life. For it is written, I will, this is God, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise. They think they're so smart. They've raised up this idol of intellectual worship. They think they've got it all figured out. And God's like, you don't begin to understand the half of it. I'll... I'll destroy the wisdom of the wise, the intelligence of the intelligent. I'm going to frustrate. There will come a time, there will come a day, and they'll go like, well, I, I, I thought, you thought. That's the problem. You thought. And you didn't believe. You, you didn't 
allow for an opening of the eyes of your heart for me to come in and to have a relationship. Does that make sense? So as unfamiliar, as uncomfortable, as unconventional, as unpopular, as it might be, I'm saying to you, the step of faith into a relationship with Jesus is the most important one you'll ever take. As different as it might be, as mysterious as it might be, as complicated as it might get, it's worth your effort. Otherwise, you run the risk of living your entire life with a heart that's blind. It just makes my heart so sad. The number of people I meet who reject the possibilities of faith in Christ because of what they think they're going to have to give up by way of convenience or comfort comfort or pleasure. I can't do it. I know he's going to ask me to stop that. I, I, I can't do that. Jesus, listen to what he said. He said, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life, like hold on to it, my comfort, my convenience, my pleasure, they'll lose it. They'll end up losing the very life that they crave. But whoever loses their life for me, they're going to find a kind of life they couldn't even have imagined. What good is it? What good is it if someone gains the whole world, all the money, all the power, all the pleasure, gains the whole world, and yet they forfeit their soul? Jesus says, I don't get that. We're talking about eternity here. The second thing that breaks my heart is the number of people who will not take a step of faith toward Jesus because of what their family and friends might think. People think, I got religion. You think, I'm getting a little too serious about this. We're talking about your soul. All right. Before this turns into part three, <laughs> let's wrap it up. All through the Bible, we have a record of people's prayers. And we can learn a lot from them. About all the prayers in the Bible, I have my favorite. It's the one I've always connected with. I'm like, that's me. I get that prayer. And I, can, I think it can be instructive in this moment. Um, there's a situation where a man brings his son to the disciples, and his son's very, very ill. And the disciples can't heal him. And they're really confused about that. And then... Jesus, who wasn't there at the beginning, he shows up. So we pick up that story in Mark chapter 9. Then one of the crowd answered and said, Teacher, this is t talking to Jesus, I brought you my son. He, he has a mute spirit. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him down. He foams at the mouth. He gnashes at the teeth, like we can describe maybe like a convulsion. He, he, he becomes rigid. He's having some sort of episode. You can, you, you can imagine as a parent how you feel. So I spoke to your disciples that they should cast out this demon, and they could not. And so they brought the boy to Jesus, 
And when he saw him, immediately the spirit convulsed him and he fell to the ground and he wallowed and he was foaming at the mouth. Okay, imagine being a parent. So Jesus asked his father, how long has this been happening to him? How long has it been like this? He said, it's been since he was a kid, since childhood. And, and sometimes it happens, it throws him both in the fire and the water to destroy him. He's had these convulsions like when we're making dinner around the fire and he's fallen in the fire. But, but if you can do anything, if you can do anything where you have compassion on us, would you help us love the heart of his father? Jesus said to him, well, if you can believe, all things are possible to the one who believes. Here it is. This is my favorite thing. Immediately the father child of the child cried out and said with tears, Lord, I do believe. Can you help me with the part I don't? Can you help me with my unbelief? I'll believe you so far and then it gets hard and I doubt and I question and I just think you won't. Can you help me with my unbelief? This is the most beautiful prayer in the Bible. Lord, will you help me with the part I don't get? I wrote this in my journal the other day. The best prayer you'll ever pray is the most honest one you've got. let's talk honestly there's some of you in this room you're skeptical you, you don't believe this stuff you got some walls built up you got some intellectual prisons that you're confined to and you will not step outside of those that's all good I'm glad you're here so let me give you a prayer and and you can say whatever you want. Put your own words to it. Ready? The most honest prayer you have is the best one you've got. Jesus, I, I don't understand any of this. I need your help to get started. To get past all of the objections and the obstacles that stand between us. As honest as you can. I'm asking you to open the eyes of my Something like that. Do that for seven days. Just give it a try. You go, I won't remember all the words. Just you say that in whatever words you have. Or just take that picture. <laughs> just take a picture. Now, I got two other prayers. And if you're worried about people knowing what prayer you took up, be some sort of you know category, then just take a picture of all three of the prayers. Okay, if you're a skeptic, try this. Some of you in this room, you're, you're here and you're kind of curious. You're, you're, you're investigating, you're, you're seeking. Jesus, I'm brand new to all this. I have no idea what I'm doing. It seems all like a little bit of pretend to me. But I'm willing, I'm willing to give it a try. I'm asking for your help. I'm asking you to open the eyes of my heart. They're a little open. I see, but I, I need them to be open more. And then the truth of the matter is, 
there's plenty of you in this room. You're a spiritual cynic. And oftentimes, this is the person who's been a Christian for years. You've professed faith in Christ since you were a kid. But here you are 30, 40, 50 years into it, and you're stuck. You're bored. You're fed up. You're frustrated, disappointed, maybe disillusioned because it's not working. It's just not working, and it's not working like everybody else seems to talk like it works. So here, Jesus, I, I've been doing this stuff for years, but it doesn't seem like any of it's working. I, I want something more than what I'm currently experiencing. I'm discouraged, I'm frustrated that it doesn't seem to deliver quite like I was hoping or what I was expecting. And so here's your prayer. I'm asking you to open the eyes of my heart. Where I am right here today, would you just open my heart? Does that make sense? Okay, that was the end. I got through it. I'm over, but I got through it. I'm ask you to stand up. I invite you to pray whatever one of those prayers most describes where you are. Do it for a week. I, I can't tell you what will happen because it's not my territory. You are opening yourself up to God. I'll just tell you, it might be different. It might be mysterious. It might be complicated. There's no prayer that God loves more than one when a human being says, will you open the eyes of my heart? God, do a work in these people's lives, in this preacher's life. Would you open the eyes of our heart for a bigger, fuller, deeper, greater faith to trust you with our lives? I pray and ask this in the name of Christ, through the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Have a great week. We'll see you next Sunday.